From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 60. I think it's a timely episode in light of the fact that the Major League Baseball draft has been paired back to five rounds. Obviously, this is a hot topic right now, and one of the big discussion points is that we may be missing out on a lot of players who would be late bloomers or really thrive in a major league organization with the right developmental resources. And this athlete's a perfect example. He's a later round pick, as you'll learn, who really just made one mechanical adjustment during his minor league career to really surge forward and become an impact player at the major league level. So it's a great story and it's timely as we start to think through all these challenging circumstances that we're all facing. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you want to develop faster and train better, you need the best gear. And with that said, we've got some really exciting news for you. The number one baseball brand in the world, Rawlings, has partnered with us at Cressy Sports Performance to make getting the best training gear for you more affordable. Simply head to Rawlings.com and use the coupon code Cressy20, that's C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your order. This offer is only valid on select items, but there's a ton of great gear you'll save 20% on that will help you become a better player. So shop now. Again, that's Rawlings.com, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S dot com, and enter the coupon code Cressy20, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout, and you'll get 20% off on your order. Some absolute awesome baseball gear that we use every day with our pro guys. Today's guest was a three-sport high school athlete in Pennsylvania and went on to attend Slippery Rock University. In 2013, his junior year, he went 7-5 with a 1.83 ERA in 13 games and was drafted by the Oakland A's in the 11th round of the 2013 MLB draft. The A's added him to their 40-man roster after the 2017 season and he was promoted to Oakland on April 17, 2018 to make his major league debut against the White Sox. For the season, he appeared in 69 games, collecting an area of 2.92 in 74 innings, along with four saves. In the 2018 AL wildcard game, he posted three shutout innings. At the time of this podcast, he's appeared in 130 Major League Baseball games, striking out 139 batters in 134 innings. Please welcome to the show, Lou Trevino. Thanks for coming on the show, Lou. Welcome. How you doing? I'm good. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, yeah, not, not a whole lot of baseball going on in the world, so we might as well talk about baseball, right? <laughs> exactly. So right now, Nothing you're, at all. you're back home right now, right? Getting your work in? Yeah. No yep, doubt. Back home in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of cool. I haven't been home uh, at this point in time in, what, since 2009, so it's it's definitely something new. I know it's a little change of pace for everybody. I, th- I think we're we're definitely at the point where people are going from the "this is awesome" to "all right, I'm going stir crazy. I want to go play baseball." <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. You know, it wasn't too bad at first, and now it's just like, "come on, here we go." So you, you talked about Pennsylvania, and that actually kind of leads into my first question. So you were a three sport athlete, which is is very common in the Northeast, or maybe becoming less common um, nowadays, but um, certainly not very common nationwide as we see this era of early baseball specialization. So what were your sports? I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. But you got to understand something about my me being a three sport athlete. I went to a small Christian school, and mm-hmm. when I mean small, I mean small. Like nineteen, we graduated. <laughs> Wow. So it wasn't like, yeah, so I kind of had to play, you know, every guy had to play. So 
I played seven years soccer, basketball, and baseball. And nice. that being said, it was cool. You know, you, if I went to a bigger, a bigger, uh, uh, public school, obviously I would have been just a baseball player, but it was kind of nice to, to have the, the options to, to play all sports. Looking back, do you think it was a blessing in disguise? Just kind of more comprehensive development or do you think it, it maybe blocked you from developing sooner on the baseball side? I mean, I think, I think it was a little bit of both. It was nice. Uh, like you said, it was more comprehensive. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I wasn't one of the kids that threw a year around, you know, and, and, and you see that a lot with kids. They're throwing every single day, you know, 365 days a year and you see a lot of surgeries and, so it was nice in the fact that I was able to kind of take a break from baseball and, and obviously with baseball, it's a one-sided sport. So, you know, with basketball, soccer, you're constantly running, constantly doing different things, uh, using different muscles. So it was nice, but at the same time, it would have been nice to be able to focus on it early on. You know, I didn't really, didn't really lift, didn't really, uh, I mean, I was obviously I love baseball, but I didn't really focus on baseball and I kind of, you know, looking back, I wish it would have been more of a focus on, you know, I would maybe have gotten where, I, where I've been now faster, you know? Mm-hmm. Now you, you wound up at Slippery Rock. So it's a, you know, division one athletic program close to home. Um, I'm D2. curious, uh, D2, I didn't realize that good, good oh, correction yeah. there. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious, well, you know, most of the kids that we see in the Northeast, like they have this, you know, these, these glamorous visions of, I'm going to play at Miami, I'm going to play at Florida State or LSU, and they all want to go down south where it's warm. Was that a dream for you? Were you a, more of a realist where you recognized where your skill level was at? Like, how, how did you wind up at Slippery Rock? Isn't it, it's actually a really interesting story. Uh, so I, so growing up, I, I never did any showcases. Like, I, I didn't really talk to a, a single college until I think I was a, it was my junior, my, so going into my senior year. So, and, and not, not for lack of talent, you know, I was still, I was six four, two hundred and ten pounds. I was, I touched 92. So I was throwing hard, but I only stayed in Legion and, you know, no scouts were really around Legion and, mm-hmm. and, uh, luckily I was able to make a showcase and I kind of screwed up my, uh, recruiting a little bit. You know, I would, uh, I would, th- I would, I would talk to coaches and they'd say, Hey, come down at certain, certain time. And I'd say, okay, sure. And just never go, never really call them back. I don't know. I was, <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't the brightest thing for me to do, but at the same time, you know, I, I went to a small school. No one, no one went anywhere for, for baseball or sports. So I, I had no idea what we, you know, my parents and I didn't, had no idea what we were doing, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, um, it was more of a, I, I like Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and, uh, and yeah, the South is great. Warm weather is awesome, but I'm, I, I always liked the winters growing up and, and, uh, and out, out in Slippery Rock, I remember I went for a, a, a visit and, it was just kind of my scene, you know. I, I was always told that if uh, if you didn't play if you didn't play baseball, go go to the school that you would want to go to, go to, if, you know. Especially if you don't play baseball, because you, you don't want to be miserable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I went to Silver Rock, and I really liked it. Uh, I, I, I liked the coach, so I decided just to stay stay north. I like it. Now, once you got there, you know, talk to me about the the changes that happened. Like, what took you from a guy who you know, was a division one player, you know, maybe because the recruiting process didn't, process didn't go as planned to become a guy that, you know, you're an 11th rounder. So, you know, it's a, it's a big deal coming out of a D2 program. What, what was the biggest change? Uh, to start off, it was just kind of a, a consistency thing. I always struggled growing up being consistent. I mean, and you know, you look at my career now, you can say the same thing. You know, I've always, there. I'll have months, months where I dominate and then I'll have, you know, a stretch where I'm not, not as not as dominant, but, um, especially in college when I got there, I would have a great start. And then, uh, for one reason or another, I just wouldn't, wouldn't do well. Um, I, I never really had a good breaking ball. And I remember the, the biggest change from my, 
sophomore year in college to my junior year in college. And the pitch that got me drafted was my cutter. Uh, I was working with my, uh, my high school pitching coach in the winter of 2000. Uh, yeah. Winter of my junior year. So I believe it was 2013. And he taught me a, uh, his, his, his little cut cutter thing. And I tried it out and I went from not being able to strike out too many guys. I think I have less than a punchy in any tall, the sun, my junior year, I was able to strike everyone out. You know, I was able to command the strike zone a lot better. It just kind of developed, uh, in, into the pitch that it is now. But, um, yeah. And, and for me, it was also a growing up experience. You know, you, you kind of go away from, yeah. go away from home, go away from the structure at home. And you kind of, you got to realize what's important in, in your life. You want to kind of hang out with friends all the time, or do you, do you want to bu- buckle down and, and, and master what, what, what you love doing. So it was, uh, it was definitely a growing up process and, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was, I was very thankful I had the experience I had. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm curious, this is, you know, just going back and like tracing your steps from the minor leagues, right? So, uh, you know, first off, if we look at you and your, you know, your first year in baseball, average velo was 89 in 2013. Um, and so they started you off as a starter. So in, in 2014, you kind of your first full season, you put up a 5.28 ERA over 26 starts in 139 innings in low A. And then in 2015, they switched you from a starter to reliever halfway through the season. And as you look at the split on that year, as a starter, you were a 5.45 ERA, and as a reliever, it went to a, a 2.7. Um, you know, so they kept you as a reliever. The rest is history. You're a big leaguer, you know, not long after that. Just to look at the the average velocities, 89.0 in 2013, 90.3 in both 14 and 15, 94.5 and 16, 96.1 and 17, 96.9 and 18. All right, so obviously going to the bullpen was the single best decision ever for you. I'm curious, what was it about that change that you know didn't just make you a big leaguer, it made you a big leaguer fast? Was it cutting down on the pitch mix? Was it the fact that the velocity surged? Were there other factors that changed? I'm guessing there, there were several things that contributed to that. Yeah, I mean – the biggest thing, and I know I've told this story a, a, a dozen, a dozen times, but the, for me, the biggest thing was a mechanical change. I was always the guy that knew that I could throw hard, you know, and I was, I was never satisfied with 89, 90, 91. Cause I remember my first, my first uh, spring training in 2014, I, I came in and my first outing, I was 94, 96. I'm like, heck yeah, that's, that's the kind of loss that I'm, that, that I know I have. Mm-hmm. And then quickly I was 91, 93. And then, you know, like you said, average velocity of 89 or 90. So I was always, I was, cause I had that, um, that one outing that I was throwing, throwing how hard I wanted to throw. Mm-hmm. I was always the guy that was trying to change stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, at, and at the same time, that kind of hurt me too. You know, I, I would be throwing really well. And then I think, Oh no, I could throw harder by doing this. And the next thing you know, I'm walking three people and mm-hmm. giving up doubles off the walls and, you know, it wasn't ideal, but, um, but I remember when I, uh, I remember this very distinctly in 2015, I think my arm was, they, they changed me from, uh, started a bullpen and, you know, I was throwing, I was throwing well. I, I, I think I uh, started throwing like a couple mile an hour harder. I went from, I think I started in 15, I was 88, I was like 87, 88. And then uh, in the bullpen, I, I ticked up to 89, 91, I'd bump a 92, but again, you know, I'm not, was not very happy with that, mm-hmm. but I remember my arm started to hurt and I could kind of see the writing in the wall. You know, I've, I've been around long enough to know that, you know, if I don't do anything, mm-hmm. a, a righty that throws, 
um, 88, 91 that doesn't necessarily spot up. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't, they don't make it to too long. So I just, I remember the day I was in, I was, uh, I was in Stockton and, and I would always, I mean, I do this now. I, I like to compare myself to, to the best in, in, in the game. And at, at that time, you know, I was comparing myself to a guy that threw really hard. So I'd always, I looked at, I remember looking at myself, my, my video early in the day. And then I looked at him while he was warming up trouble, uh, to, to get in the game. And I realized he was doing something that, that I wasn't. So I tried it. And, and so the very next day, I remember my, I was 80, 88, 91, touching 92. And then three days later, I tried this mechanical change and I was 94, 95. <laughs> and then, the, and then, and then the next day, I remember telling my dad, I'm like, Hey, I'm hitting 97. Today. He's like, all right, let's see it. I was 94, 97, sitting 96. It was just over, it was overnight. It was incredible. Just, uh, I, I, I remember it clear as day. I mean, so there's uh there's a field in in Modesto in the in in High A and that was the only field that had the radar gun that was accurate. Mm-hmm. And I would always as I started there I would always try and throw as hard as I could in, you know, 89 and I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go. You know, this, this is going to be uh, going to be a long day." And then I remember when I started kind of feeling good, I threw one nice and easy and it was 91. I'm like, "Oh man, this is this is day hit 95 96 again." So it's just like uh, you could just feel the difference. And then uh, I ended that season well. And then I, I really started to buckle down because before that, uh, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't take baseball seriously. If you were to ask me in 2013, 14, and 15, you know, Lou, do you work hard? I'd say, yeah, I work really hard and I eat well. well now looking back, I eat like crap and I did not work hard. Uh, I just thought I worked hard. And I, and I kind of, and I going in that spring training, I really buckled down. I got on a diet. Um, and cause I realized I didn't want to be the guy that, that had had the excuse when he was 50 and 60. Hey, I could have, I could have been this if I would have worked hard. I, you know, I could have went far, but I just didn't work hard enough. You know, I, I didn't want to be the guy with all those regrets. So I decided to, like I said, buckle down, uh, get on a good diet. I would work out six, seven days a week. Um, just do everything that I possibly could. And, and I remember I came back in, in 2016 in spring training and I got, and and they sat us all down one by one and said, Hey, you know, we, we think you're going to be, this is the type of role that you're going to be. And I remember they said, Lou, you know, you really thrived as a, as a long relief guy. So we're going to stick you, we're going to keep you at long relief. I said, all right, sounds good. And my very first outing, I was 90, I was 97, 99, <laughs> sitting 99. And, uh, and immediately it was okay. You're going to be our closer. Granted <laughs> it was sick. All right. It was awesome. I was throwing hard, but I threw, I think I threw four strikes. I walked everyone, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I was throwing absolute fuzz and you can work with that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you can't work with 88, 91 all over the place, but you can work with high high nineties all over the place. So it took me a, a good year to really figure out my delivery and figure out what I needed to do to throw strikes. Cause again, this is, I, I threw completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. So my, my cue was I'm going to keep my numbers facing the, my, my target as long as possible. So you can imagine, like you can be really inconsistent throwing like that. Yeah. But if you sync everything up, you know you're, you're throwing hard. My stuff was sharper. So it took it took a good year for me to really figure out my uh, my delivery. And then ever since I figured out, I, I was able to shoot through the system quickly. Absolutely. You know what I think is cool about that story is so often we see these guys. So you take the kid who's six three one eighty, 
and you see like this very linear relationship between body weight and strength gains that get them to, you know, all of a sudden that six, three becomes 200 and they've gone up three ticks and then it becomes 215 and they're up at a couple more ticks. So you can predict it. Yours is interesting because it's kind of like the multiple steps, right? So you were, you know, a, a physical guy, you said you were six, four, two ten. you know, out of high school, which is a pretty put together high school senior and you were throwing, you know, 88 to 92, you showed a 92. And then, you know, basically the, the next jump came all at once with one big, you know, mechanical change seemingly overnight. And then that 95 basically became like 97 from like buckling down with training, taking care of quality nutrition. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as linear. It's kind of like the, you know, you see like that squiggly line where they, people think success is linear and in reality, it's kind of all over the place. So so yeah, yeah, everyone has their own story. It's, it's, and and that for me, that was the motivational factor. Like, okay, I I can do this. So I'm going to do everything I can to maintain. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was nice. Did, uh, as you went from starter to reliever, and I know you're a guy in the big leagues who, who throws, you know, effectively several pitches more than you would normally expect. Most relievers are two pitch guys and you're obviously throwing a, you're throwing a two and a four seam, you're throwing a cutter, you're throwing a change up and a curveball out of the pen, correct? Mm-hmm. So when you cut back originally from starting to relieving, did you pair back on the pitch mix or did you keep everything? Uh, I think early on, uh, I started, because I saw all the other relievers having two pitches, I, was, I figured, okay, I was, I'll just stick with fastball, curveball, you know, and then, um, and then I kind of realized as I, as I continued to progress, why, why bother getting rid of pitches? Because I, I know that all, all my pitches are plus. Like I, I know I have a plus changeup. I know I have a plus cutter. I know I have a plus curveball, mm-hmm. and and all the other stuff. I, I realized there's no, there's no point. And also, what's really nice is. When your cutter sucks, you can just just bag it for that outing and mm-hmm. throw the curveball and change it. Well, when you're or that one outing when your curveball sucks, you know now you have all these other pitches. You're never gonna well, at least for me, I'm never gonna have them all at once. It's mm-hmm. just usually how how it never is. Yeah. But it's nice to have the option. And if they're all on at once, good luck hitting all that. You know you, you're gonna face me maybe once a week, and. I got, I, you got, you got to, you got to protect against a cutter, especially the lefties. You got to protect against a cutter and on your hands and then a two seam and then a changeup and mm-hmm. also curveball. And I can throw a four seam up in the zone. It's just, to me, it's, it, it just gives me more options. You up, know, I don't up, have down, to be, a, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you, you alluded to the delivery you talked about the numbers, you know, facing toward home's plate as long as you can. So, you know, I want to talk about the delivery. So pitching is about putting yourself in the best positions to, you know, effectively leverage gra- gravity and throw downhill. But if you try to just be this, this linear monster, it doesn't work as you experience. And we've been talking, you know, this off season about getting back to being more rotational. So many people look at your, your delivery from a rotational standpoint, they might think it's high maintenance because of, you know, you've created that coil. So, you know, what would your response be in, you know, how were, were there coaches that were taking you away from that, or was it the kind of thing where it's just a matter of you trying to find your your own way? Uh, I think it was. Well, I, I would honestly, I'd have to give all the credit in the world to my p- pitching coach here in, uh, in in Pennsylvania's name is Mike Connors. The guy, if if without him, I'm I'm, I'm struggling. He he knows my delivery in and out. So, mm-hmm. um, it's nice to have have a guy a guy like that in my corner, but. I wouldn't. I don't think it's high maintenance. So, and, and by yeah. high maintenance, what what do, what do you mean? Well, like, I think there's. I think there are a lot of people that you know, for one reason or another, are still fighting rotational deliveries in baseball. You know, I mean, it's it's probably the old guard. And for you, obviously, getting to being rotational and having an element of coil was big for you. So, what are what are the most important cues for you to make it work? So, 
so on to get on that, I, I love pitching rotationally because mm-hmm. my, my arms never felt healthier. Like I, mm-hmm. I know when I'm not well, like throwing well, when my arm starts to hurt, because that means I'm not getting into rotation. I'm not maintaining. So as I throw the ball, I feel like instead of using my back, you know, uh, my, my lat and all these, all these muscles to slow my arm down, I'm just using my arm and all of a sudden my elbow starts barking and I find the more rotational I get, or, and I, I think also it's interesting if when you say rotation, like you said, people say, Oh no, no you can't be rotational. You're going to fly out. But I, I don't think it has rotational more as like you, I'm trying to stay in counter rotation as long as possible. Ooh, I like you know, that. I want to, I want to coil up and I, I don't want to rotate for as long as I possibly can. So when I, when early on, when I think, when I thought, um, keep my numbers to, to the plate as long as possible, that helped me, uh, like you said, coil up and just uh, like I, I want to create um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tension. That, that's it. I, I want to create tension as long as possible down the slope of the mound. And whether or not you're a guy like me that has to feel super rotational mm-hmm. or a guy that's more linear, mm-hmm. if you can feel tension yeah. as you go down the mound, I think that's the key. So there's you know, everyone's not the same, but ev- I think everyone should have a, sl- a bit of counter rotation with their delivery I to me because of arm health too yeah um but anyway yeah I, I don't know if I answered your, your question I, quite I think, right no I think I I love the uh you know the uh the, the comment you had there about it. don't think of it as as just being rotational what was it staying uh counter rotational as long as possible yes. I think yeah. there's there's a lot of merit to that right it's it's basically you know hold it until the time is right so there's a timing element to it um but oh, yeah. you know you know the other factor is right a lot of times that is it's deceptive as well. It's not just that it's, it's allowing you to create more velocity, but it's, it's making you a little bit more closed off to a hitter longer. Exactly. And I think it's, I think it's important. I know we talked about this uh, when I was in, in Florida uh, this off season, but mm-hmm. it, it depends on, on the type of body you have as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm six, five, almost 235 pounds. Like I'm, I'm a big dude and I don't need to create you know, I, I don't, I don't need to jump off the mound or, or, or yeah. get a ton of uh, m- momentum when I throw. I, I just don't need that. But you look at guys, uh, that are, you know, six foot, 180 pounds, they don't have the mass. So you, you look at their deliveries and it's usually a little quicker. Um, just the, a little different. So I think it all depends. I, I used, I used to always say, you know, if, if you're a big guy, just take your time throwing the ball. You don't have to. You don't have to rush that down the mound, mm-hmm. but little guys are a little different. So I think it all really depends on, on your body type, what yep. you do well. It's it's just all very, it's all very fluid. You know, it's not, there's no one size fits all. Absolutely. I think it was uh, our, our mutual friend, Blake Trinan commented on, you can't generate velocity until front foot strike. And Blake's obviously a, a big dude like you as well. So there's some commonalities there in the mechanical exactly. approach. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the cutter. Um, that's probably the pitch that I'd say you're most known for. Um, mm-hmm. because it's not just, it's not just nasty. It's hard. You know, you throw it consistently 91 to 93. So I'm curious, early in your career, you threw it quite a bit. It was about 10% of the time in 2014. And then it went away for 14 and 15. And you, you came back in 17. And it just it wasn't just that you brought the pitch back. You threw it three times as much. You threw it 29%. And now in the big leagues, it's uh, depending on the year, it's 34 to 39% of the time. So I'm curious what changed. Was it that now you could throw that cutter? at at 93 which just is stupid unhittable was it later movement was it a new grip what was the the difference to bring it back and to to also throw it so much more 
that is a very it's an interesting question only because I've that pitch has been so good for me and it's also been a nightmare as well. You know, <laughs> yeah. like in 2018, it was, it was my pitch mm-hmm. and even 17, I would always say, Hey, if I don't know what pitch to throw, I'm throwing a cutter. It's mm-hmm. just how it is. Cause I know that either it's going to be a swing and miss or a weak contact if it's in the zone. Mm-hmm. And then last year it was just, you know, I, I couldn't get it to cut. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any depth on it. It was very, very frustrating. But as, as I've gone along, um, my career, I've realized the better my delivery, like, like what we were talking about, the mm-hmm. more I stay counter rotational down, down the mound, it, it's, it's a plus plus pitch. Mm-hmm. So that's another, that's another indicator for me that I'm, I'm a little off. If my cutter just spins on me, mm-hmm. that means that I'm, you know, I'm flying o- o- open a little bit or mm-hmm. I'm a little too linear. I'm not, you know, staying, staying closed down the mound long enough, stuff like that. But it's just, it, it's one of those things where I used to always think it was a, uh, it was a grip thing. You know, I would, I would kind of switch my grip. I would, I would try and move up my thumb if, if the yeah. cutter sucked. And, and as, uh, as I've gone along, I've, I've realized my cutter is a direct correlation to how my delivery is. Cause I think I, I can, I can still throw a good change if I can still throw a decent curveball. I can still throw a good fastball with the, with the so so delivery, but my cutter suffers greatly when, when, when my delivery is not very good. It, it's just, it's all, it's all interesting. You know, I'm still, I'm still working on things, but you know, in spring training this year, I did not have, have a very good cutter. Um, I, I would constantly, it would back up on me. And then, uh, I came home for, um, for this whole, um, quarantine thing. And, and I was, I was throwing a bullpen with, with, uh, with, with my pitching coach. And then we talked about it just before we got, uh, we started just, uh, this podcast, but we, you know, we, we decide, Hey, you know, instead of, instead of doing this, let's, you know, let's, let's try and get a little more, more rotational. All of a sudden I went from, I would hang at least three cutters per, per, per bullpen session to, I could throw it wherever I want sharp and hard again. So it's just, uh, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's great. I love the pitch. I hate the pitch. You know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's baseball, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, do you think it's also a hard pitch to like, to just go and like play or talk to somebody from the opposing team in the outfield about, or, you know, talk to like a big league veteran, like, like you can't necessarily just call Mario Rivera and be like, Hey, how do you throw your cutter? Because there are guys that throw four seams that accidentally cut. Um, there are guys that, that manipulate a slider grip to make it harder. And then there are guys that have totally unique cutter grips. Like for you, for you, it's obviously not as simple as just trusting the grip because the grip being the same every time doesn't verify that the pitch is always going to be the same. Exactly. But I think I found that the people who can manipulate a ball, like for, for instance, with Trinan, 2018, he wanted to know how I threw, how I threw my cutter and he can manipulate the ball better than most anyone yeah. I've, I've ever met. It's I mean, ridiculous. Just, it's crazy. <laughs> but I just showed him my grip and I, and I told him what I would thought. And next thing you know, he was throwing his cutter harder than me. He was getting more swing and misses out of it. And it honestly, it pissed me off a little bit. You know, I remember like, I was talking happy about for it. <laughs> well, it was like you guys played catch in the outfield one day with it. And I think like next week he saved a game and he threw like 11 out of 12 pitches for cutters, like 96 plus, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was absurd. Absolutely absurd. And look, I'm happy. I'm happy that it worked out for him. But you know how long it took me to figure that out? And in the big leagues overnight, he figured it out. You know, it's just, but like, I've, I've learned that the guys who, who can manipulate pitches, especially guys with two seams for some reason, I, they, if, if you can, if you can tell, if, if you can kind of get, uh, tell them the mindset to think, like, I, I don't think, 
Mm-hmm. I th- when I think of my cutter, I know it's a little different with everyone else. But when I think of my cutter, I, tr- I envision throwing it off my index finger, off the side of my in- index finger. Mm-hmm. And every time I feel like every time I tell that to a guy who can manipulate a ball well, he tends to throw a good cutter. But a guys who can't really manipulate the ball well, it, it, I don't know, it doesn't. They 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 t- tend to struggle with it. I'm, and that's kind of um, I'm painting with a broad brush, but it, it is is very interesting to figure it out. And I remember listen to a story about Mariano uh, telling Doc Holliday hit his cutter, you know, and, and again, it's two guys point. that can manipulate the ball really well. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very interesting. People have different, um, uh, and, and exactly like you said, you know, guys throw four seams that cut. So it's just, I don't know. You, you, it's, you, pitching's different. You literally probably just like changed the, the career path of 2000 kids listening to this podcast. They're all going <laughs> to like different spot on their index finger and they're all going to have nasty cutters by next week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I probably screwed myself. They're going to take my job. <laughs> so here's it. Well, they're not all going to throw them a hundred. So that, that makes it a little bit better. <laughs> um, so you, you, you throw both a two seam and a four seam too. Um, mm-hmm. so you're one of the few guys that, you know, does just throw them out of the pen uh, in both scenarios, but you also seem to throw your two seam a little bit harder. Is that something that you're actively aware of? Is it something that where TrackMan kind of picks them up a little bit weird? What's is is the mindset different between a two seam and a four seam for you? I no, not at all. And we've talked about this too. My hardest pitch I've ever thrown was an, oh, it was a two seam fastball, mm-hmm. and, and and that's that's just you, you look at all the hard pitches are all two seams for some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because I, I I put my fingers together with the two seam mm-hmm. and with the four seam they're a little separate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really have no idea because I. I don't, when I throw a two seam, I just throw the ball. Like, I don't think about anything else. When I throw the four seam, I throw it just like my two seam. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't move as much. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really have a good explanation why, but I always knew that with my two seam, I, I will always throw it harder. Why? No clue. <laughs> That's interesting. So, all right, well, we've talked a ton about pitch design. So let's, let's talk kind of um, like preparation for actually being a reliever. Did you have, a, was it an adjustment for you going from starting to relieving? Like I know a lot of guys, you know, crave that five day rotation where everything is meticulously planned out. And then with being a bullpen guy, you know, basically it's, you know, get hot in five minutes. Did you handle that well? Or was there an, an adjustment that, that was a little bit challenging? It was miserable to be honest <laughs> with you. It, you know, just like you said, you have as long as you want to get ready when you're a starter. And then all of a sudden you're a reliever and say, Hey, you, you got the next batter. Mm-hmm. And you, sometimes you get eight pitches and you got to be ready. You got to be ready to throw mm-hmm. and you got to be ready to throw your, your, your banger off speed pitch, first pitch of, of, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it was definitely, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely different, but I've learned that as I went along, it's, it's more about a, a mentality than everything else if, if you can kind of stay mentally ready mm-hmm. you know and at, at the same time it's really not hard to figure out when you're going to pitch too you know for the most part you have roles mm-hmm. in, in a bullpen so you kind of know okay this is the spot that i could pitch am i tight or i'm gonna get up walk around a little bit like my one of my big routines is i have to i, I get a baseball and i go on a wall and i roll out my chest i roll out my shoulder and i roll up roll out my traps mm-hmm. that's that's big for me and Honestly, I could probably, once I do that, I could probably just pick up a ball and throw right, right away. I don't have to do anything else. Um, so if, if, if I can do that before I know I'm about to throw, you know, I can, I, I can probably get away with throwing 10, 11 pitches now and, and I'll be good to go. But it was definitely a long process and it, it took a, a lot of trial and error to figure out what I needed to do. Like yeah. right now, I know that I need to throw my fastball glove side and I need to throw my cutter glove side. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that, I'm good. I don't have to throw my curveball. I don't have to throw my change up. I don't have to throw my two seam because mm-hmm. I know I'll have it. 
if I can easily hit glove side with my cutter and four seam, I'm set. That's so I don't have to go through all that stuff. You literally but answered my other... next question for him before I even got to ask it. You know, it's, it, I, was, oh, really? I was curious. Well, you have 11 pitches to, to try to sort out five different pitch types. You know what I mean? You've, yeah. got, you've got to lock down whether the curveball is working. But for you, those two are indicator pitches. If you can, yes. obviously, glove side's hardest to get to. Everything else is going to fall into place. Exactly, exactly. And then and at the same time, you got to realize also you have, you have, what, seven, eight pitches out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like you just have 11 pitches. And and I, I'm, I'm, I think I do a little differently than most people. I probably throw about three pitches as hard as I can before I, I, I go into the game. I'm usually nice and light, about 80% most of the time that I warm up. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to feel, I'm just trying to feel out in front. And I, if, if you, if you listen to me talk at any point in any interview, when I'm bad, I'll say, yeah, I just didn't feel behind the ball today. I didn't feel out in front today. Where when I, uh, or when I'm good, I said, you know, I'll say, I, I felt behind the ball. And, and that's all I'm trying to feel. And, and it's kind of hard to explain, but I want to, I want to be able to feel the ball coming off my fingertips directly behind the ball and not getting on the inside or the outside. Mm-hmm. And when I feel that at 80%, I can, I know I, I can do it at a hundred percent. So, cause for me, that's the hardest thing to do. It's hard for me to throw it, throw slow mm-hmm. and, and feel behind the ball because of how rotational or counter rotational I, I get where other people, it's a little easier. But when I know that when I'm, when I'm throwing at 80%, and I'm behind the ball, I know I'm, I'm dialed in. So that's why I really throw, let's say I have 11 pitches, I'll throw seven or eight, nice and easy, 80%. And then my last three, I'll throw 100% and, and I'm out and ready to go. How, how do you structure your, your in-season throwing? Um, you know, knowing that you might throw three or four times a week, what are you doing pregame? Um, does it vary or is it pretty consistent? I, it's pretty consistent for me. I, uh, I'm, I'm a big heavy ball, weighted ball type guy. Mm-hmm. But um, I try and do that two to three times a week. Um, I'm trying to think, I, I really don't do anything too different. Uh, I try not to throw too much, even though everyone, every one of my teammates that hears this will laugh because mm-hmm. I probably throw the most out of anyone besides <laughs> Liam. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, I, I like to throw, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I don't really have a, a set plan. I, I just, I make sure I crush arm care all the time. Whether I do it before I throw, do it after I throw. I know the A's have a re- regiment. Mm-hmm. Once we throw, we have to get arm care. Well, I'll do some extra arm care. And, um, and for me, it's always if I, if I, I got to make sure I roll out my chest. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, my chest, my shoulder and my, my traps. And then I got to make sure I do scat bat activation. And then I have to make sure I, uh, I scrape my bicep and, and, and my tricep, my forearm. If I do those every day, I'm not going to have any problems when it comes to arm health. But if I skip out on a day and I don't do, it's crazy. If I don't do any scat work, my, my arm hurts so bad. My elbow starts hurting everything. But once I do my scat work, my scat activation, fine. It's interesting. Uh, no, I mean, it's routine. That's, that's what it yeah. comes down to. And there's so many guys that are just throwing darts and not realizing that sometimes, you know, consistent routines provide for sit- more consistent outcomes. Um, what about the actual, uh, like strength and conditioning side of things? What are you doing? Um, you know, bullpen guys are all different. Some guys just pick two days a week, you know, they're Tuesday, Friday, they're always going to lift. Some guys lift on the first day of each series. H- how do you usually attack your, uh, your strength work during the season? I, I like to get in two to three lifts per week, total bodies. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I make sure that, um, I make sure I at least get one lift in every series and I always go after the game. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how guys do before the game and mm-hmm. pretty much everyone does, Yeah, but I, I, I can't, 
I feel like I, I, I feel terrible. I, I don't, I feel like I, I have no feeling with, uh, with the baseball, mm-hmm. uh, especially if I do upper body. Yeah. But, um, I, I pretty much try and try and lift two to three times a week. And then before the game, I, I do a lot of core work and that's where I do my conditioning or, uh, or, um, bike work or something like that. I like it. Um, one, one thing that, um, popped in my head after we stopped talking about it. So, you know, I remember back in the day, like there were organizations where if they drafted a guy with a two seam and a slider, they were teaching him four seam curveball just because they wanted him to learn how to like spin the baseball effectively. And like those were competencies that, you know, help them. They thought it would help players out. And, you know, that organization in particular has since scrapped it and, you know, they kind of accept guys for who they are. Do you think that, you know, looking back, like, you know, you're a guy who obviously understands, you know, how to throw a number of different pitches. You're throwing five pitches out of a pen. Were there things that you wish you had done? If you could go back to age, you know, 16, 17, 18, in terms of learning like crucial competencies, like I have to be able to do this with a four seam that you think might have allowed you to, to grasp some of these things earlier? Or do you, think it was just one of those things where you had to struggle to to kind of find your way with it I, I think it was more I had to struggle even though I I really wish I would con, could come go back in time and do things differently especially if I could do anything differently it'd be eating well and lifting mm-hmm. I did not eat well and I did not lift and that's the most infuriating part <laughs> when I look back because I I know the benefits mm-hmm. you know now and it's it's frustrating to to know that you know, everyone told me, Hey Lou, you got to lift. And I'd be like, yeah, and just never do it. Mm-hmm. So to me, that was the most frustrating part, but I, I've always, I don't know. I've always been able to manipulate the, the baseball. So I, I'm, I don't, I don't know about, I, I don't really have a, a, a good answer to the, uh, to throwing different pitches, but I was, I just, I was always able to, to, to manipulate the ball and, you know, I'm thankful for that. You know, it's funny. That's a, that's a, we always do a lightning round at the end and we always ask for like, what would your lessons be for a young Lou Trevino? And the, the funny oh, thing is like, so many. The, well, the funny one is I can't tell you how many guys are like, take lifting and eating more seriously. I, yes. I feel like that's probably 50% of our big leaguers. If, if you had some other ones, what would they be? Uh, sleep, mm-hmm. sleep, take sleep seriously. Yeah. It's another, big I one. can't tell you. I, I can't tell you. Let's say I, I pitch and I get two to three hours of sleep for one reason, whether it's too much adrenaline or we have a, a day game after a night game, my arm and my body do not feel good. But if I get eight to nine hours of sleep every night, I, I am feeling amazing. So I think sleep is, is very, very big, especially young, you know, kids stay up all night, potentially playing video games, doing stuff like sleep is huge. But for me, the biggest ones are eating well, exercise and sleep. All right. So what well, we're, we're going to build on that. We're going to keep going with the lightning round. All right. Favorite, okay. This is a, I ask a brief question. You can go as long as you want the answer. Your favorite teammate of all time and why? Favorite teammate of all time. That's a, that's a loaded one. <laughs> you can pick Honestly, any, any level too. Right now, Josh Fagley. Okay. And he's why? Uh, <laughs> one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. That guy, great golfer and even better to yeah, just, he's hilarious. He is just a funny, funny dude. Great teammate. I don't know. I just awesome guy. You got to have that over a long season. Although it's a short season this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, your favorite pitcher to watch and what do you like about it? Favorite pitcher to watch. It's changed over the years. I used to be a huge Jake, Ari- Jake Arietta fan back oh, yeah. in 15 and 16 because he was kind of me. You know, he had that two seam. He had that cutter, uh, curveball changeup combo. I would watch him. I would stop and watch him. Right now, it's probably Degrom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude is 
disgusting. I mean, electric, electric fastball, nasty cutter, slider, whatever he wants to call that thing. Uh, that changeup is wipeout and he, and he dominates, he dominates the zone with that. He just doesn't throw hard. Like he pounds the zone mm-hmm. and, and yeah, he's probably so far or for right now, he's probably my favorite guy to watch pitch. And unfortunately I don't, I don't get to watch him enough. All right. All right. So uh predict records for the upcoming NFL season. First, the Eagles and second, the Patriots. All right. Well, obviously, Eagles are going 16 and 0. Uh, Patriots may, maybe one win. Maybe one win. You guys are going to be struggling. This could be a very interesting season. We don't, we don't know what to make of it. And granted, this, this is being recorded on April 19th. So we have no expectation of who our quarterback is. So we're just going to, yeah, that's uh, honestly, look, I don't feel bad for you at all. You guys have been dominating for years and years and years. It's that, you know, maybe, maybe you guys do well, but it'd be nice for, for you not to make the playoffs one time. Nice. Well, all right. And then the last one, I was told that you once ate mayonnaise after a, out of a jar. Um, can you confirm or deny? And if you can confirm, you have to tell the story. <laughs> well, everyone was, uh, well, confirm for sure, but everyone was betting each other that, Hey, you know, 20 bucks, 40 bucks says you take a spoonful of mayo for, and everyone was, you know, kind of saying, no, no, I don't want to do it. So I just kind of walked by with a spoon, took a big old spoonful, ate it and walked away. Just and, to prove that it's not that bad. What was the and payday? I did it for no money. Oh, there you no go. No money. That, okay. I don't need it. <laughs> I, I could, if you want, I could honestly eat a whole jar of mayo. Oh my gosh. By we, itself. It's we, delicious. We might have to start a GoFundMe just to watch you do that. <laughs> <laughs> People will do crazy things during quarantine times to entertain yeah, themselves. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Nice. Hey, man, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, folks can find you. It's, it's at Lou Trevino on Instagram. Um, and this was, uh, this was really, really good information. I know coaches, players, um, you know, parents alike, I'm sure we'll get some excellent stuff. So, uh, so thanks for taking yeah, great. time for it. And um, we'll Thank do it you. again for sure. Take care, bud. All right. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, We'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.